Making my cat happy is my number one priority, and Fresh Step Out Stretch Litter helps me do just that. Meet Mr. Mittens. Mitty, for short. Ah! Mitty is happiest when his litter box is clean and fresh, and Fresh Step Out Stretch is amazing at absorbing waste and odor. We sure have found our common ground, haven't we? Happy cat, happy life. Find Fresh Step Outstretch at a store near you. Fresh Step is a registered trademark of the Clorox Pet Products Company. Certain trademarks used under license from the Procter & Gamble Company or its affiliates. If scary movies give you dread, keep you up late night in bed, here's a podcast that will help raise your mind. We'll explain the plot real nicely, then we'll talk about what's frightening so you never have to have a spooky time. It's ruined. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Ruin. My name is Hallie, and this is a podcast where we ruin a horror movie just for you. If you're a longtime listener, you know that my wonderful co-host, Allison Livey, currently is away during her one-woman show, Oh God, a show about abortion at New York's fabulous Cherry Lane Theater. If you are in New York or visiting, go see it. But if you're not, please stay and listen to this episode because I will be joined by another fabulous guest host. We've had some phenomenal names, some some huge gets for the pod. And now we have maybe the biggest one of all, or the the least of all, depending on your perspective, uh, which one's right, probably the latter. It is my dear childhood friend who I have referenced multiple times on the pod. Welcome, Jess Burkle. Oh my gosh. It is is an honor and a privilege and and definitely a paradox of both the worst, <laughs> the worst and best guest of all time. Mm-hmm. Which is good I, because I the, the movie we are gonna do this week does involve a lot of paradoxes. But before we get into the movie itself, um, I just want to say, if you're a listener, Jess is the person who pranked called me when I worked at the church when I was a teenager. And then he also pranked called me again in college, uh, posing as as a college authority who found pornography on my computer, both times causing me to, you know, have a full panic attack. Neither were real. So um, just one of the main stories I feel like I've told. It's exactly. just like a great bit. It's it's a it's an evergreen. You can all it was you know swatting before there was swatting, mm-hmm. doxing before there was doxing. <laughs> you could always call you up and pretend to be someone on the verge of suicide on the church hotline, and mm-hmm. you know just get a good rise out of you. Heady days, heady days. I want to be clear. You did a voice that I'm sure oh. in retrospect anyone would be like, well, obviously there was jazz. You fooled me both times. Absolutely stunned me with your performance. That- well, you know, I'd, I'd like to think that I uh, I was really trying. I, I was dropped into character and uh, was really committing to it and because that's the only way you're going to sell it. Now, I should warn listeners that with these two Midwestern accents, mm-hmm. they are likely to get a sinus infection by the time you're done listening <laughs> to this podcast. So viewer warning because it's a lot of Ohio in the house. Um, and, of course, this movie we're doing this week, it also involves a writer. And Jess oh is a, a writer, always been a writer. I mean, we met when we were in third grade. We've been friends since we were eight. Always a phenomenal writer. And now you currently work for a, a television show, which is just about to debut its last season. Would you mind telling us about it? <laughs> That's correct. It's called It's In the Dark. It's a season four will premiere at the beginning of June. Hallie's a big fan. She mm-hmm. loves that main character whose name is... Mm, Daphne? That's right. Oh, yep. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> right. I was thinking of Scooby Doo. I'm sorry. Old... And Daphne is the main character of Scooby Doo. I want to be clear. <laughs> that's that's true. That's true. Well, mm-hmm. old Daphne, she's back. No. It's uh, In the Dark. Season 4 premieres, I think, June 6th on The CW. If you're riddling yourself, how do I get The CW? You mm-hmm. can wait for it on Netflix where all the seasons are available. Right. That's what I would I was say. I say, like, isn't it on Netflix? That's where I watched it. 
That's that's what they say at the CW corporate uh, board meetings and just, just cry. Just cry. They're like, oh, it's um, on Netflix. And also, I, I I caught your little snide jab there. I have watched the show, and I still don't know what her name is. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there. <laughs> Who's joking now? It's the real mystery. The real mystery is who are the characters. But uh, no, no, no. You've always been very supportive. And uh, I'm a huge fan of the pod. So, I'm, I'm very, very excited to be here. Even though I've well, never... Yeah. heard of this movie in all of my days. Yeah, you know, I, I was going to do another movie, and I won't say the name of it because I don't want to be catty, but I was going to do another movie um, that I had not seen. And w- in watching it was so fucking bored that I could <laughs> not finish watching it. So luckily I texted Jess and I said, have you seen In the Mouth of Madness, the John Carpenter 1994, absolutely iconic Sam Neill uh, picture. And fortunately, Jess says, no, you know, I haven't seen that many horror movies. And here we are. And so we were doing In the Mouth of Madness. I just can't, I, I was like, In the Mouth of Madness, a uh, Fran Drescher biopic, I assume. And then to see to see the trailer, to see Sam Neill, to think that his agent after mm-hmm. Jurassic Park was pitching him this movie as the best follow-up to the, that iconic role, I, I just want to know the positioning discussion. What did, you know... I got one for you, Sam, baby. It's like, it's it's deranged. The trailer's deranged. Well, you know, anyway. and and, I, and I, I will say that's a really good point I hadn't thought about. I feel like, you know, at a certain point in time, there was a very much of a, I want to do every genre. You know, I don't want to necessarily True. be just the dinosaur Can't guy. I want to explore. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah. John Carpenter, The Thing, um, uh, Prince of Darkness. John, oh, they live. John Carpenter is a legend. So to me, knowing how great Sam Neill is in every picture, I'm sure Sam Neill was like, oh, John Carpenter's doing it. Great. We also have some fun cameos, including Charlton Heston, um, <sighs> who plays. So again, you get Heston, you have Carpenter. Well, Sam Neill's going to sign on. Okay, that, that's that's what we're looking at here. Mm, get that screenplay out of my cold, dead hands. That's what he said. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, and that brings us to the trailer. So uh, Jess has just watched the trailer and... What are your thoughts about the movie just based on that? Well, I'm going to say great usage of font in the trailer. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of different fonts um, really building a case that, like, you may not get what this movie's about, but you saw John Carpenter's other movies, and they were great, right? (laughs) That's kind of how it starts off. Um, Mm -hmm. And then it's really just um, a slurry of mid-'90s tropes that I just loved, just loved. It's a lot of men, uh, a lot of men uh, stressed out that the world is against them, Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of great writer energy. I love old-fashioned agents uh, and managers who are talking and coaching him through. I'm not going to say that I got a lot of the plot. I think yeah, I th- that's fair. Yeah, you know, it's it's pretty light on what is going to happen. Um, <laughs> right. But, well, uh, I will say that I do feel like this is a much more abstract movie than we've done recently. <laughs> um, so that maybe that was like, we don't really know how to get into it in the trailer. So you're just going to have to watch the film. That's what it felt. I think there was one scene where they show like, I want to say the Taj Mahal or something. I was like, oh boy, I don't know how that's going to fit in, but can't wait to figure it out. Can't wait. Um, in the Mouth of Madness is also sort of paying tribute to um, the work of H.P. Lovecraft, which I believe we okay. talked about in the pod. You know, what is your familiarity with H.P. Lovecraft? I know during high school, I was absolutely reading every H.P. Lovecraft story. You know, it's a, you know, sort of insanity, the the old ones, uh, you know, colors out of space, alien old gods. What, are you familiar with this at all? Not a 
one. Great. I mean, Even I was better. reading Entertainment Weekly. I have no idea Ooh. who who this person is. I mean, I saw that show on HBO. Wasn't a fan. Um, but it just oh. didn't, didn't speak to me. It didn't speak to me. But um, I uh, no, I have no idea. I've never read any of the books. Any of them. Will I still like the movie? Oh, absolutely. Well, who's to say? But I think so. I think you don't, you don't need to know. And they don't explicitly call it out. It's just sort of like a... I feel like there's a lot of horror movies where they'll throw in a line about the old ones or, you know... Um, right. Beings out, colors out of space, or you know, sort of the touchstones, and sort of a tip of the hat, wag of the finger, yeah. to to the legacy of H.P. Lovecraft, without specifically calling it out. So I feel like you don't. Really there was need a it nice sideswipe on uh, Stephen King uh, oh, when they yes. were like, "This guy sells more books than Stephen King," and I was like, Ooh, "Take that, take that." It's, and this is clearly real. is about to be. We recently did Misery, iconic, and this movie both feels like a Stephen King story. And then also is clearly a parody of Stephen King, who apparently is friends with John Carpenter in real life. Like wow. the, it is about an author. Instead of Maine, guess what state this author puts everything in? New Hampshire. New Hampshire. Wow! Right out the gate. Is that true? Is that true? It's one hundred percent. Oh my yeah. gosh. Uh, so of course we had to journey to you know uh, New Hampshire uh, during the film. Mm. And the I'm looking at the um, the the screenwriter and who? Oh my god. This is wow. So the screenwriter, Michael DeLuca. I was like, oh, what else did he write? <gasps> well, first of all, Judge Dredd. And then also Freddy's yes. Dead, The Final Nightmare. But also he wrote the short film that the Lawnmower Man movie was based on. Oh, boy. We just talked about Lawnmower Man. We did. We did. I, we almost did it, except I would argue it's not a horror movie, so we didn't do it. Boy, uh, and if you thought I didn't know the plot of In the Mouth of Madness, quiz me on what Lawnmower Man is about because I just don't know. The, and when I remember at the video store, it looks like a piece of bent graph paper with like a single head floating by. Like it doesn't make any – it gave you no clue what it was about. I don't know what the movie is about at all. I've seen it and I still can't tell you. And I won't tell you. Instead, I will ask you <laughs> but, for your – take a baseline scary, which we always do uh, with Allison – and so, but take a place on scary. How scary do you find the concept of um, the 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 laws of reality starting to bleed? Sort of the boundaries of reality shifting, our reality as we know it changing. I'm gonna say that's terrifying. Sarah, I don't um, like it at all either. Yeah, that's pretty bone chilling. Um, that question of like. Am I the problem? Is society the problem? Like, how you, like, convince yourself? Like, I remember being sick in seventh grade, and I, like, fully, like, shit myself in the shower. And I was like, you know what I need to do right now? I just need to take a nap. And I was just, like, you convince yourself that you're like, that's what you need to do. And then I'm just lying on the floor in the shower, running for hours, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, in the moment when reality crumbles, uh, you know, uh, things, things start to go wrong. Yeah, the human mind tries to create these barriers to hold it up. But, you know, and not to get so political, you know, but you Please. do look at like QAnon and stuff. We're like, Here unfortunately, there are people who, I'll say it, but <laughs> they do believe that. And it's very concerning where it's like objectively on paper. Well, that that doesn't make it. It's not real. That's not reality. No. But unfortunately, as humans, we can get to the point where it's like our idea of what is reality can be influenced. And that's kind of what this, this um, the whole movie is about. I also don't like. It seems like there may be at some point like a cra- a mad crowd. Oh, I also find that so to be many very terrifying. Towns. Like there's the, so the, many the scariest parts scenes. of the War of Worlds is just like when mm-hmm. like it's like a wall of people running in one direction. Like that's mm-hmm. that's no fun. That, that now for you, there's me, nothing you can do. Now for me, scariest part of the War of the Worlds, the aliens. 
That's just me. That's just me, though. Well, I'm crazy. You know I'm crazy, baby. I, you think it's the aliens, but you know most people are, are getting getting trampled to death. That's the, That's the hidden cost of War of the Worlds. You know we would. We wouldn't even get to see an alien. We'd be like, what? And we'd just immediately get I, I would down. be like, everyone slow. And then I'd just be <laughs> run over. Um, and so before we get we kick things off, um, would you like to just guess the twist? And this is a hard movie to guess the twist because it's it's the trailer does not give you anything. But would you like to guess the twist in The Mouth of Madness? the twist. There was a part of the trailer where I thought, mayhaps this is the twist, because I'm thinking it's 1995 and, uh, you know, the deep misogyny of the 90s. I saw that there is only one woman in the trailer, and I mm-hmm. think that she might be responsible Ooh, for okay. it all. I That's what I I love it. What, <laughs> I, I absolutely love it. She's wearing a white blouse, and she's got mm-hmm. the devil in her mind. That's what I'm thinking. All right, I, I, that, that, that's a very 90s uh, thought process, and I, I really like it. And let us begin. Jess, I'm about to ruin John Carpenter's In the Mouth of Madness for you. <clears throat> Can't wait. We we open on, which again feels like a very 90s thing, a printing press with like fucking rock and music, like way of a novel being printed and then bind put into a binding and then shipped out. And it is a, move, a book from uh, the fucking hit Horror novelist bigger than Stephen King. Forget Stephen King. This is Sutter Kane. This is how you know it's based on Stephen King is they have basically the same name. Sutter Kane? Sutter Kane. Oh, boy. Okay. The title of the book, The Hobbs and Horror. So this book has been printed. It's been sent out. And then we go next, Jess, of course, to the Insane Asylum. And we see a Mr. uh, Dr. Saperstein. Uh, greeting the new inmate, and his name is John J. Trent, played by Sam Neill. And despite being in a straitjacket, he manages to kick one of the orderlies in the balls, and he almost wrenches free. But they throw him in a, in a cage, basically, and he says, I'm sorry about the balls. It was a lucky shot, that's all. Every line in this is amazing. Wait, so it's just a straitjacket with straps on top? The legs are free? Yeah. Is that how straitjackets work? I don't wow. think so. But also, I don't want, I guess I don't, I, I haven't looked into enough. I should, we should know okay. this. We're going to figure this out. That's true. And and what kind of a sane asylum are we talking about here? Is this like a, a reputable facility or is this gorgeous. more like a gothic dungeon? St- no, oh, this okay. is like gorgeous ground. Polished all floors. white. Polished floors, like a big. Natural um, lighting. Oh, okay. semi-circular, um, you know, uh, reception desk. This is like primo stuff. Okay. Um, He's got insurance. It, and to calm everyone down, because, of course, everyone, he, John's screaming, I'm not insane, I'm not insane. All the other patients are like, yeah, me neither. I'm not if he's not. Dr. Sabastine starts playing The Carpenters, We've Only Just Begun. And all the other patients sing along. We've touched on this a lot. A lot of horror movies have a, 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 a troubling idea of, of what insanity is. This is not as bad as we've seen. I guess the whole thing is about whether you're insane. I take that back, but never mind. Just then, <laughs> in his cell, the music drops out. And as John watches, a single hand, and because it's the 90s, you know it's a white hand, emerges into the little window in his cell and just starts tapping. And when he runs to the door, there's a figure that emerges into the room behind him. And John turns to the figure and says, this is a rotten way to end it. And the figure tells him, this is not the ending. You haven't read it yet. And the hand of the window bursts through the glass and grabs John, and John wakes up, and he's totally fine. He's on his cot. So now the question for us is, ah, what is reality? 
Right. Um, at the door, Dr. Saperstein greets Dr. Wren, who's like, who, how are you? How, how did you know he was here? And, he, and Dr. Wren says, we've been monitoring the police waves for reports of people who have been affected. And Dr. Saperstein says, like, oh, do you think he's one of them? Thing, things must be getting bad out there for you to bring you fellas in. So sort of like, this is like, you know, the government, some sort of higher authority is coming to check on John because they think he's connected to something that is going on in the larger world. Wow. And Dr. A lot of these lines are giving away like 60% of what's going on. It's like, <laughs> yeah, we've it been is, monitoring yeah. the police waves to see if he's affected. What a, that's a sentence. It's like, we're not going to tell you. This is the, not the end, but it's, uh, right. it's a lot well, of teasing. True. A lot of teasing. I feel like now you would have to have that be a reveal at the end. But I kind of like the idea that yeah. like, we're learning one person's story amidst a larger catastrophe it is kind of, I okay. don't know, I think it's less, I do think it's less scary because you kind of know, it's not like, a, oh my God, but it's more like, you, you know, you feel like you're in it. Like you're just one person whose sanity is being questioned within a larger horrific event. So that's kind of fun. Okay. All right. Okay. okay. I said it's kind of fun. Okay. So. It's fun. Dr. Oh, I love it. Dr. Ryan Ren, police wave. <laughs> Dr. Ren asks, has the patient made a request? And Samson says, it's the darndest thing. He asked for a single black crayon. And when Dr. Wren goes into John's uh, room, you see that he has drawn crosses, all big ones, small ones, short ones, tall ones, all over the walls. And we turns he has drawn crosses all over himself and his hospital gowns. And Dr. Wren said, hmm, this seems suspiciously mad, like almost like you're trying to be kept here, like you did this intentionally. And John's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And Wren's sort of like, all right, gives him a cigarette. And Wren says, well, you know, how about we talk about you while we're here? John takes us back to before he's been institutionalized to the beginning. And we find out, which again is such a 90s protagonist job. He's a freelance insurance investigator and he's working mm. to expose fraud. And he tells us it all started with the Sutter Kane disappearance. We flash back oh. and he's sitting with Robbie. I believe there's only one black person. So I think like one woman, one black person. This is 1994. They checked all the boxes. And Robbie is the owner of a an insurance company who's constantly like, oh, my God, John, you got to join me full time. You're the best ins freelance insurance investigator we have. And we see John crack this sweating guy who burned down his own warehouse. He's like, if you're going to burn down your warehouse, don't let your make your wife your collaborator. And if you do, don't sleep around on her. And he throws down photos of the guy with his mistress. The guy's like, oh, I'm going to jail. And Robbie's like, you've done it again. So, of course, they go out to lunch to celebrate. And Robbie's like, you got it. Please, I have so much work for you. And it's framed that, so there's kind of like a, a diner booth. So they're sitting in a booth, and there's a big picture window. Just as they're talking about insurance adjustment, we see a man with, like, blurry red eyes, filthy, emerge from out of, like, a newspaper, like a little, like, shop, holding an axe, and then just making his way across the street towards him. And it's a beautiful And they're so shot. wrapped up in the insurance uh, discussion that the they're not seeing. The excitement of it. Exactly. Right, right. They're talking right. claims. They're talking deductibles. They are talking <laughs> rates, and they're not seeing the man with the axe and the red eyes. Got it, got it, got it. Robbie tries this. He's like, John, you come work with me full time. I've got the biggest job from Arcane Publishing House because they filed a claim. The reason they're filing a claim, and I'm like, I guess this is what insurance is. I don't know. Their Stephen King-level author, Sutter Kane, has gone missing. So they filed an insurance claim. I guess that must be a real thing. Wow. And, you know, we're watching. A bus goes by. Pedestrians are walking. The man with the axe has arrived at the, the other side of the window. They haven't even looked up, which is not like in New York. New York, you're always looking out, you know. 
And then suddenly the man smashes the window with an axe, sending glass spraying everywhere. Robbie falls to the ground. Everyone in the cafe goes fucking nuts. And the man with the axe jumps on top of the table and he turns to John and said, do you read Sutter Kane? And we see that his pupils look like they're splitting into two pupils. But there's not really time to react to that because he lifts his axe to swing it down out of John's head and two police officers immediately gun him down. That night, John's shaken, but he pours himself a drink and he's watching a news program about Sutter Kane. And the program asks, harmless pop phenomenon or deadly mad prophet of the printed age? And I was like, I want someone to write that about me. I want someone to make that headline about me. That's going to be the opening line of your obituary. Don't you worry. It's, uh, Thank it you. will be on hard copy, though, because that's what it sounds like. <laughs> I will say you will have to deliver it at my funeral. So if you could die a week after me, that would be very convenient. Well, not a week. I'll try. I'll weeks. try. Okay. Um, we also see that there's a riot. If you go missing, I'm going to file an insurance claim that you've Please never do. you've never seen before. <laughs> yeah, can we? Can you, like, very write confusing it? about how insurance works. Yeah, and also uh, don't worry, they're not. No one's getting paid for any of this. This is a this is a red herring. As much as we're invested in the insurance story, um, we also see it's, footage it's of a, all I want to know about. <laughs> we see footage of a riot outside a bookstore, and the anchor says it was started because they didn't have enough stock of Kane's book in the mouth of uh, um, the Hobbs End horror, so his most recent release. And the the anchor asks, "When does fiction become religion?" John takes the job. Wow. He's intrigued. And he meets Mr. Harglow at the Arcane Publishing, who's played by Charlton Heston. And everyone's freaking out because they cannot find Sutter Kane. And Harglow introduces him to the editor, Linda Stiles, who you know is going to be the love interest because she has glasses and a red lip. And she will not take any oh, of boy. John's guff. And John's like, I'll be she's honest. She's a modern I, woman. She's a modern woman. And as a result, we are legally not allowed to accept any guff. And John says, I'll be honest, I don't know anything about Sutter Kane or I don't know about Arcane Publishing. And and Linda says, do you read books? It's like, okay. And he says, I don't really read that horror crap. And Linda sort of like bites back. Maybe he's a little too sophisticated for you. And they have a little, you know, tete-a-tete. And Mr. Hargo lays out, Sutter Kane disappeared two months ago and the police have turned out nothing. However, two weeks ago, Kane's agent received new pages from him, no return address. And John's like, okay, oh. so what did the agent say? And Mr. Harklow says, well, You heard what he had to say. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah, I understand you were there when the poor man went crazy in midtown Manhattan. You witnessed the shooting, I believe. That lunatic with the axe? That was Kane's agent? Wow. Now, what you do want in an agent is a real go-getter. So the That's idea true. that he's wielding that axe, he's <laughs> breaking down doors, he's getting in front of people, getting the name out there. I mean, that is great, but the pupil splitting... Probably a red flag. Yeah, he's going to get some blood on that axe. I agree. That is. <laughs> John's like, oh, wow, you think a guy who outsells Stephen King could find better representation? And Linda storms out. It's like, oh, you're not taking it seriously. And so John said, just so we're clear, you're not implying that like his agent read the new pages and went insane, right? Because to me, that sounds like a publicity stunt. I know scams. I know grifts. So if you're trying to just use this horrible tragedy to sell books, I will find out. Like, if you if you hire me, I'll find out if you're lying to me. And they're like, no, no, no. But we do admit that Kane's writing does have an effect on his, quote, less stable readers. So if you read his book, you might have hallucinations, dizziness. That's a lawsuit on your hand right now. 
in my opinion. I I can't uh, I can't believe that the legal team is allowing them to publish these things. Like, and any imagine getting letters back being like, <laughs> "There's a a slight effect on the lesser people," wh- whatever that means. Um, the I 90s, think that, man. There's too much exposure there. Yeah, I mean, I guess Linda is so focused, <laughs> laser focused on getting yep. to the top of the pyramid that she's willing to throw anybody under the bus. To and you got to be as a woman wow. in the 90s. It's the 90s, Jess. That's you true. You had to be That's willing true. to throw the, the less stable under the bus. She um, can't show feelings. She has to wear pants. She has to be comfortable with human carnage if it sells the books, you know? Exactly. And, um, you know, Linda tells John, you know, as, as she's walking him out, before uh, he disappeared, Sutter Kane's work became itself very erratic, and he became convinced that his writing wasn't fiction, that what he was writing was real. Either way, it's like, we need to find, we need you to find Sutter Kane if, if he's alive, and either way, we need to get a hand on that manuscript. So the, the agent received, like, the first two chapters. We need the full fucking manuscript. We've already sold the movie rights, so we need you on it. <laughs> And John, John is, of course, a disaffected. I guess, like, insurance investigator is, like, our, like, the 90s PI. Because he's like, we've already flushed the planet down the toilet. Might as well send out our minds with it, huh? And Linda's like, okay, he's a good writer. How do you read some of his books? And on his way home, John sees posters for the books. Because then it's huge. But he's distracted by a police officer beating up a graffiti artist. And he turns to John and he goes, you want some too, buddy? At home, John calls his new boss. He's taking <laughs> Wait the a job. The, the police officer says that to him. Yeah. So we're just—he just sees an act of um, random police brutality, and then just keeps <laughs> moving. I like the, the police officer turns to him like a cat skills comedian. It's like you want some of this too, but like I just—is that what—is that well the nineties? I'll just chalk it up to the nineties. The Do 90s. we know what city this is taking place? It, oh, you this know, is in New Hampshire. New, no, it's in, New, it's in New York. It's in New York because they oh. have to drive up to New Hampshire. So this is oh, okay. Gotham City, baby. The Big Apple. <laughs> the city's so nice, they named it twice. <laughs> Once he's home, John calls Robbie, who again, is his new boss. He says, this feels like a scam. I feel like it's like, oh, no, he's missing. They're just trying to, like, create fan hysteria. And I do think there is something, too, where, like, I feel like it, it, the power that celebrities have now over the internet and social media if Sutter K did exist, he would be able to, like, cause madness. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. if Taylor Swift did go QAnon, the, a number of people who would absolutely believe it and get on board just because they r- love her. I don't even know. BTS. I'm not sure who was, like, the most famous people amongst people. But, like, there is a level of power. And that's what they're saying is, like, they are using that in this, like, fucked up way. I'm not going to be—I'm going to investigate this, but I will expose them if this is fake. And it seems like it's fake. A, a and, 90s high tide for hoaxes. I mean, you had alien mm-hmm. autopsy. Uh, I, I I don't remember when Balloon Boy was, but it feels like it could have been around that time. I remember mean, it was just that, like... Yeah. <laughs> remember that viral video where uh, they thought there was a leprechaun in a tree? I mean, it's all I mean, it's all part of a look, piece. People you know? want to believe, and I feel like it's, you know, it's all baby Jessica down the well. Was that real? I don't remember. So I think like so, but that's fine. The, well, you know. But, but she uh, what did I'm it for the is, clout. She did it for the clout. That's just it. Did she fall into the well or did she go into the well? You know, we don't yeah, know. Yeah, baby Jessica absolutely did it for the life. Baby Jessica uh-huh. starved for attention. Going into that well, she is a book deal now. Um, so I think Sutter Kane, you know, kind of makes sense. <laughs> How to guard your well. Well. <laughs> Um, so, okay, so John, because he's a great insurance investigator, goes to the bookstore <laughs> and buys all of Kane's novels. He's pounding this shit. 
And he's prolific. Again, he's Stephen King, you know. What does that montage look like exactly? Literally him, on his, literally him on his couch in front of the coffee, like at his coffee table. But on his way home, he's interrupted by a weird, he's literally credited as like nerdy teen. And he tells John, I can see. He sees you. And he's like, okay, nerdy teen. And he's reading him. He calls Robbie again. He's like, you know, Robbie, the books are actually better than you think. Like they kind of get to you. And we see John standing again. He's walking past the Hobbs End horror posters. He stumbles on the cop beating up the guy again. Only when the cop turns to him, his face is monstrous. And when John turns to flee, Kane's agent with the axe and a horde of axe-wielding weirdos attack him. Luckily, John jerks awake on the sofa, only to find himself sitting next to the monstrous cop. He wakes up again. It's a double dream. <laughs> oh, and this double time, dream. One of those double dreams. And he, he's looking at the collection of books. You know, he's going nuts. You know, like, you know, it's like he's a beautiful mind, but it's just like horror novels. John sees on all of the covers, there are these red lines and he cuts off the covers of all the books and he cuts them out and he puts them together. And just what shape do the pieces make? Oh, boy. You know this. Think about this. I was going to say a cross because that's what he was drawing on himself. But I'm thinking it's probably more like a, uh, what am, what am I drawing in the air? Uh, an, um, an anarchist star? What What is? No, no. It's a map to, a map of where? You already said it earlier. Ooh, oh, New Hampshire. It's a map of New Hampshire. It's, it's the shape of New Hampshire. And it's a map to the fictional town where many of Kane's novels are set. But wait, how, stop, 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 stop. Wait, wait, wait. The, the red line—we need to go back here. Um, Absolutely. First Let's of all, walk, 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 walk you through it. Number one, because I'm still a little bit bumped from—I was like, was that police officer still beating up that, that graffiti artist? So I'm glad to know yeah. that was a dream, because I was like, man, you, you have stuff to work out. You, right. It's red lines on the covers of the books when placed together create the outline of the state of New Hampshire? I unfortunately have to confirm yes. Do you think that you could recognize the outline of New Hampshire Absolutely. without being told what it is? No, and that's why I'm a piss-poor insurance investigator. I would just be <laughs> looking at a bunch of different shapes. Even if I put together, I'd be like, I don't know, like a, a full ha- leg of ham? Like, I don't know. I think a, a lesser insurance adjuster would look at that and be like, well, it's not even a rectangle. It's nothing, like a dead end. So, I mean, yes. good for John. Good for John. Yeah, this He's really movie couldn't through. happen if John wasn't so good at his job. So Now, does he does he give him a location in New Hampshire, or is it just like drive through the state looking for stuff? So in so many of the, the novels of Sutter Kane are set in a fictional town called Hobbs End. So the implication oh. is we are going to drive to the area of New Hampshire where it is set. It's not a real town, but John's realizing, like, maybe it's the name of an old town. Like, maybe, you know, it's from, like, the 1800s. And just because it doesn't exist now doesn't mean he wasn't relying on some old-timey map, you know. And he goes to Arcane Publishing, wow. and he says to Lyndon Harglow, and he's like, you know, I'm starting to think that you're set up kind of some kind of contest. People cut out his covers— uh, obviously, immediately see the shape of the state of New Hampshire, and they go look for him. The it's most like, recognizable shape in human history. And he's like, "I will go look for him," but it sounds a little bit like bullshit to me. And Hargo says, "We have nothing to hide, and to prove it, we're going to send Linda along with you." And Linda's like, "I guess, Jess." At this point in the film, what would you do? What would you do? Uh, I just. 
Well, I, I was going to answer as me, but maybe I should answer as insurance adjuster me, where, you know, you have to get to the bottom of the That's case. That's true. You just, That's true. You know, you just have to find the truth. Um, I think that I would say, uh, maybe I would I would hand it over to the New Hampshire authorities uh, at the state line. I don't feel like I have to go to the epicenter here. Um or maybe just uh, I outsource it to Linda. Like, doesn't she want to find him? I, I, mm-hmm. I'm just not sure if I'm going to New Hampshire. Um, whether or not there's a psychotic mob following me, I yeah, just feel like. Yeah, I guess no, maybe I it feel could the be same cute. way. I mean, I'm sure maybe it'd be it's nice. Like a, a B&B situation. And I think that we're to think at this point, like, um, John thinks that they're setting him up. It's like, you're fucking with me. This is like some hu- some part of some huge publicity stunt. But I'm gonna still gonna get paid. So when I show up there and it's like a publicity stunt, I will only I will get paid and then I'll badmouth you. Like I'm not gonna play along with this. I think the scariest thing is the idea of a road trip with with Linda. I mean, imagine well, being in a car for five to six hours with with this woman. Jess, the thing I didn't say is Linda's hot. So I think Ooh. that's sort of where like John's like, oh, I'm sorry. I don't want to, but I guess you know, New Hampshire. We, here we come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love my cat, Tiger. And as my best friend, we speak our own language. With that, you love your litter. He does, because I use Fresh Step Outstretch Litter. It absorbs 50% more waste and odor and requires less changing compared to Fresh Step Multicat. Less changing means more time playing. (laughs) Right, Tiger? That's a yes. Find Fresh Step Outstretch Cat Litter in the pet aisle. Fresh Step is a registered trademark of the Clorox Pet Products Company. Certain trademarks used under license from the Procter & Gamble Company or its affiliates. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because I got the charcoal mess. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? Uh, Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. (laughs) No, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. (laughs) Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. But speaking of, so they set off, they drive from New York, and John reaches into the glove box, and he takes out, like, an old-fashioned bike horn, horn, and Linda has fallen asleep in the passenger seat. So he just leads over and honks it in her face, waking her Mm. up, and she picks up a bag of chips from their snack bag and just starts hitting them. The chips go flying. So, you know, they're immediately intimate, you know? Yeah, they've got classic chemistry. (laughs) Classic 90s chemistry. Old bike horn to chip bag. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so as they drive, Linda's like, you know, have you ever, like, investigated someone you knew? Like, did you ever, like, bust, uh, like, a friend? Or, like, did you have to, like, report someone you knew? And John's like, oh, yeah, I've learned anybody is capable of anything. The sooner we're off the planet, the better. And Linda's like, that's a very Sutter Kane thing to say. He's so again, he's nihilistic. He's like a private what a private detective would be in the 40s. And John says to Linda, I'll be honest, I I, I like I've started to read his books. Like, why do you like uh Kane's work so much? And Linda tells him, I find it particularly frightening to think about what would happen if like his fiction was real. You know, like it makes you feel like reality is just what we tell each other. So sane insane insane could easily switch places if the insane were to become the majority. Political. Okay. Wow. Wow. And she said, in that case, you'd find yourself alone and locked in a padded cell. And John scoffs and says, that wouldn't be me. Oh, John. But it is. John, boy. L- Linda's all-knowing, all-seeing. 
Um, a a so, woman ahead of her time. <laughs> so eventually they switch off and now Linda is driving and um, John has fallen asleep in the past. I don't know how long the drive is. It doesn't seem like it would be like <laughs> at 24 hours, but I didn't look it up. But either way. You know Linda insisted upon driving halfway. She's not letting some man drive her to New Hampshire. Please. She can drive. And that's tough because, like, I really am a 50-50 type of person. But when it comes to driving, me don't want to. Me, please don't yeah. make me drive. Except um, in childhood when you drove me around exclusively. But uh, that was that was a specific arrangement. <laughs> and now you're driving me crazy. <laughs> um, shout out to our other friend, Whitney, who we also drove. I also drove around all the time, if you're listening. Sure. Um, as they drive through the night, Linda sees a teen pedaling madly on the side of the highway and then sees him pedaling the other way. Now an old man with a huge spray of gray hair, but you could tell it's the same bike because it has like, uh, people used to put, um, like playing cards in the spokes. So you could yeah. see him and they make that like tick, 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 tick sound. And she brushes it off only to suddenly look up and see the old bicyclist appear in the dead center of the highway. And she just fucking slams into him. John yeah, it was probably up. just New Hampshire, right? Like, right, exactly. uh, just, you know, city folk dealing with country folk in their old timey ways. Exactly. Being from New New Hampshire ages you, you know, that these kind of things happen. Yeah, exactly. So they run to the the, the old teen and they, they run over and he, again, looks ancient, but it says in the voice of like a boy, it says, I can't get out. He won't let me out. And Linda looks up to John for a second, like, oh, we got to find a payphone. As soon as she turns away, the elderly boy pedals away on his bike. Like they drive on, brush it off. They're like, yep. To me, that's where I turn around. I'm like, I hit an old yeah. teen on my bike, and he was fine, but I would switch around. So they drive on. Linda at the wheel, John asleep again. Suddenly, the lines in the road disappear, Jess. And Linda looks out of her window and sees that she is just driving through the night sky. Again, doesn't <laughs> scream, doesn't hit, hit John with another bag of chips, just takes us in stride. And the wheels hit the slats of, like, a covered wooden bridge. And when they emerge from the bridge, it is daytime. It is morning. They are in Hobbs End. And John wakes up. He's like, oh, sorry, you should have woke me up. Like, I didn't mean to make you drive the whole rest of the way. Linda is panicking, but also doesn't say anything. Linda, speak up. You were a strong 90s woman. You were driving through the sky. Linda, use your voice. Be like, I was driving and then I was on Mario Kart Rainbow Road and now we're in the middle of the town. And like, also the idea that John was able to go to sleep after the elderly boy incident is just like, how tired was he? I mean, stay awake, buddy. Listen, this investigating business is incredibly tiresome. So they're driving through, they find- So Linda says nothing. Linda says nothing. Linda says fucking nothing. But like you said, maybe, maybe Linda might end up being a little more involved- also, as the only woman, too. she can't she can't sound hysterical. She can't sound crazy. You know, she doesn't want her authority to be undermined. So she's she's Absolutely. keeping it buttoned up with that white blouse. What is a, Linda's uh, country look? What is she wearing in New Hampshire oh, exactly? You, you you nailed it. It's like a white linen, like a knit drapey like top. Yes. yes. White linen mm-hmm. pants. Like it's oh. a it's a very Martha's Vineyard like relaxed, like going antiquing. Wow. Hair gorgeous. Hair up. You know, looks great. Perfect um, Hobbs End attire. Exactly. What everyone wears when they go to Hobbs End. So they they finally drive on Main Street. There, there literally is an antique shop, but there's no people. And suddenly, Linda sees a dog run around the corner. There's just one old bike there. Anyway. I mean, and a, and a group of kids chasing the dog. But by the time she turns to John, they disappear. And neither of them see that there's a bloody axe buried in a post sort of behind the building. 
But they do find, I know, you do find a place to stay called the Pikmin Hotel, which is really more of a bed and breakfast vibe. Mm -hmm. And John's like, how did you know this was here? I am still thinking that this is a setup. Like, you came here, you knew this was here, you're going to, like, trick me or do something spooky, and then, like, you'll be like, oh, I'm going to tell the news. And Linda said, no, you dumbass, I read about it in Sutter Kane's books. This is, he described this. He's describing this whole thing, and she points, there's, like, an empty greenhouse behind the bed and breakfast and says, remember, in Hobbs End Horror, this used to be full of plants until one night, the townspeople saw something inside, something enormous, with arms like snakes. And John says, wow, this is a perfect tie-in for tourism. Like, obviously, you're setting this up. It's a genius idea, a huge moneymaker. Let me be a part of it. He's not taking it seriously. They are checked in by Mrs. Pickman, and they ask her, like, oh, my God, like, your town, like, you know, how funny. It's, like, inspired by Sutter Kane, or he, or he drew from your town. And she's like, I don't know anything about Sutter Kane. I've never heard of that person. As Linda watches, there are two, a man and a woman in a painting on the wall directly like across from the check-in desk. They turn and look at her. Does she say anything? No. Again, because she feels like she has to be strong. She has to be strong. Yep. yep. Mm. Linda, Linda's taking on the problems. burden for us all. Yeah, yeah. The shoulders of giants. Um, in, their, in their room, which they are sharing, I believe, based on what I've seen, two they're beds, in one, one room. Two beds, one bed. Two beds. But even that okay. seems a little. But maybe that's just what they had. That, that's what they had available at the bed and breakfast. And yeah, yeah. I mean, Linda made the reservation, so. And Linda started to be like, "We, I think I'm concerned that we are now inside of a Sutter Cade novel." And he's like, "You're being insane. You're being a woman about this, you know." But if that's true, like, let's talk about it. Like Mrs. Pickman in Hobson Horror, she's a mad woman who chops her husband into coleslaw. And Linda's like, "I'm just saying." What if we find out that Kane's work isn't fiction? He's actually basing it on this town. Okay, yeah, it's not on a map, but, like, it exists. We're here. How do you explain that? John's like, if it's real, out this window, we should see a beautiful Byzantine-style church, which you see in the trailer, with gold onions on the top, which I guess are just, like, the round top of it. I don't know. And he throws open the drapes. A lot of drape work. And there's no church. Linda rolls her eyes and says, Mm-mm. if you'd actually read the book, okay, closely, the view is to the east. She opens it. Jess, there is like an insane black church with gold accents in this small New Hampshire town. Like this is not a church that I imagine are in a lot of small New Hampshire towns. That is noteworthy. That is noteworthy. (laughs) And that would draw tourism. So, of course, they walk over to the church and John is reading a passage from the most recent book. And it said, oh, you know, there used to be an old stone church built on the site in um, 1788. But then the black church um, swallowed it and all that remained of the original church. And he says... <clears throat> Some believe the old sanctuary still exists somewhere trapped inside this evil edifice. Its primeval inhabitants were a murderous race of creatures whose vile existence contaminated time itself, affecting history with their sadistic wickedness. And so they're going to go there, is what I'm saying. It's like, you're reading this, you're like, I will actively go look at this church. When, when does John start hedging his bets? You know, just being like... Yeah. Oh, maybe just on the off chance that any that Linda, the woman, might be right. Um, you know, I just also does he think the church is going to be so great that he has to see the inside of it? Is he proving a point to Linda at this point? I think so. I think they're proving a point to each other. I think okay. both of them, and that's the thing. You got to be honest. You got to communicate. I think if they were willing yeah. to say, "Hey, here are my concerns. I, we were flying through the sky. You know, right. like when we got through the bridge, it was daytime." Um, yeah. It seems like the book you gotta is real. You got to have those difficult conversations or you you both turn into coleslaw, you know? Exactly. 
Um, meanwhile, Linda sees that same dog racing to the church being chased by the same children. And they try the door of the church, but it's locked. We see there's a big mural of St. Michael fighting off a creature from some other, what we would call hell. Suddenly, four car- cars roar up to the church, and Linda's like, we got to get the fuck out of here. I could tell something wrong is going to go wrong. The townspeople screech to a halt, and they jump out of their cars, and one guy named Simon, who is the actor who played um, Vigo the, in um, Ghostbusters 2, uh, whose name I don't know. He is. He plays this guy, Simon. And at certain points, you could tell that he, they've decided to dub him because I believe he's German, so he has an accent. At certain points, he's dubbed. At other points, he's just using his regular voice. And I was like, what a weird choice. So when he gets out of the, the out of his car with a shotgun, he screams, Kane, give him back at the church. And the church door opens, and we see a little blonde boy, obviously Simon's son, and he goes, Johnny boy. And again, in a German accent that is unexplained. Unfortunately, the church door is slammed shut. And when they reopen, they reveal the author himself, Sutter Kane. What? And, and as he smiles at them, a herd of like a dozen Dobermans run out from the church and start attacking the townspeople and like dragging them to the ground. John and Linda barely make it back to their car, only to see a little girl watching them. And she tells them, I see. Back at the bed and breakfast, Linda is furiously like uh, pacing back and forth, like, oh my God, we're in a Sutter Kane novel. And he's like, how did you know that crowd was going to get nuts? This whole thing is staged. You knew you're in on this with Hargo and Kane. I'm going to find someone in town to give me some honest feedback and just admit that they're being paid to do this. And Linda said, okay, you're right. We did send Kane away as a publicity stunt. Hargo did send me with you to make it look like more convincing. But then Kane never showed up, and the town isn't part of it. That's how I know it's real. We didn't stage a whole town. This is just all from his books. So I was like, wait, so they were going to have you just drive around and not find anything? That's so anticlimactic. If anything, making me like, we did the town, but then the town got a, had a life of its own. That makes more sense. Am I wrong? I uh, just, just imagine the hours that Linda spent pouring over this presentation to, to yeah. the board about this publicity stunt that she was going to arrange. I'm going to manipulate an insurance adjuster to right. come to the t- You know, it's like One this is going to be— One of the best insurance adjusters in New York City. We, we will laugh about this and sell a fuck ton of books based upon this cockamamie scheme. And everyone just stood up slowly applauding Linda. Linda, you've done it again. Yeah. Really thinking outside of that box. And I'm now gonna she's going to eat Crow and of, Doberman. I'm going to need a budget of $5 million to retrofit a small town into high, painting a church black, like hiring, like a training a bunch of dogs. Like, what are we talking about? She's like, also, on the way there, I plan to drive into the stars and then appear in the town myself. Right. Like, what about that part? Was that part right. of her plan? Yeah, Linda, come on. You didn't hire the sky to be a part of this uh, book promo. Uh, but, you know, but uh, John says, okay, okay. All right. Okay, but look, the mob scene and a little girl weren't in any of his books. I know because I just fucking read all of them. And Linda said, no, not his published yeah. books. In the book we're trying to get, In the Mouth of Madness, you know, we got the first two chapters. And the only ones who knew, knows what they're in them were, were his agent who went insane. And me, I didn't read it. He just sort of like summarized it for me and sort of whatever. And Linda tells him that book is about the end of everything. With an evil that takes over Hobbs and children first. We need to find the new book and find out. And we have to skip to the end to find out what happens. And John's like, I hope you're crazy. 
Because if if you're not, I, then I can't handle what you're, you're telling me. Suddenly, Linda grabs John and kisses him. And John pushes her away, but not before she pockets his car keys. And he's like, okay, oh. Linda, like, we knew this was happening, but, like, not yet. You know what I mean? We still need to, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. So John goes down the lobby, and he sees the painting where Linda saw the figures move. But now the people's faces have started to morph and mutate into sort of a monstrous face. And Mrs. Pickman startles him and says, please don't smoke in here. It bothers my husband. And just then we hear a groan from behind the desk, the check-in desk. Before John could ask any follow-up questions, Linda runs down past him out the front door and takes off in his car, stranding him there. And so he runs out after her down the street trying to chase her. Jess, in that moment, we look down and Mrs. Pickman says, shh. And we see Mr. Pickman is handcuffed totally naked to her ankle, still alive, but completely nude. Well, I mean, uh, having recently stayed at that hotel at Santa Monica in Vermont, I have to tell you, sometimes when you're at inns and hotels <laughs> on the road, you see things that are inexplicable. <laughs> really, right. the painting, a handcuffed nude man. I mean, you know, not everything is a holiday in Express. Exactly. Yeah, like, are you going to get, a, you know, a continental breakfast? No. Will you see an elderly man nude handcuffed to his wife's ankle? Yeah, you probably will. And that's worth the price of admission, if you ask me. Also, she is asking him not to smoke because it bothers her husband. So she's still looking out for him. I mean, and also, we can't. If I saw that, I'd be like, I have to assume this is something that you guys do for some sort of pleasure. Like you're, this is something you've cooked up and you've been doing this for a long time. And hey, what do you, whatever you got to do to keep the spark alive, you know what I mean? I Mrs. will be one thousand percent honest with you. If I, if I happened <laughs> into that circumstance, I would also be like, I'm sorry to have interrupted you in the middle of some sort of well-established sexual game that you two play. I'm going to look the other way and not say a thing about it. I, I'm not going to read into it. Yeah, this is some sort of love making that I thank you for letting me be a part of it. Yeah. In the town, night has fallen. And because John mm. doesn't catch up to Linda, he sets up shop in the town's bar. And he's, like, going over notes. And when he's interrupted by Simon, the father of the boy in the church, and he tells him, you got to get out of Hobbs. This is no tourist town. And John's like, I'm trying to. And he starts quizzing Simon. It's like, so you're an actor. Do you live in New York? And you've been paid to come up here? You're all incredibly convincing. Do you know Mrs. Pickman? Do you do Off-Broadway? You know? And Simon's like, Cain's been messing with the church. Something came leaking out, took the little ones first and passed it on to us. Get out, get out before it gets passed on to you. Meanwhile, Linda has shown up at the church. <laughs> Something came leaking out. Oh, boy. You don't want to hear that. And she shows up. And there's a bunch of the children, the weird children chasing her. And, and they tell her, hey, uh, today's mommy's day. It's like, oh, okay. And she makes it to the church. And she enters, which is full of burning torches, and she finds Sutter Kane tip-tap typing away. John returns to the hotel to look for Linda, being like, maybe she came back, maybe she freaked out, finds a plaque in the room's closet that reads, like you, like at every motel, you know, like every motel sex, you have a Bible, and this one at every uh, closet, it says, abandon all hope, ye who enter here. And so he goes back to the Sutter Kane books to be like, I'm looking for clues. I'm going to figure this out. Like, what's going on? Unfortunately, back at the church, Sutter Kane greets Linda and he tells her, You can edit this one from the inside. Looking out. It's funny, isn't it? For years, I thought I was making all this up. But this whole time, they were telling me what to write, giving me the power to make it all real. And now it is. 
And they both turn, and there's a huge, like, medieval-looking door oozing. And we hear the groans of terrible creatures on the other side. And he tells her, all those horrible, slimy things trying to get back in, they're all true. And he takes her by the shoulder, and he strokes her hair, and he says, come look at the instrument of the change, Linda. It's the new Bible. And he grabs her by the back of the head and he forces her to look at the text of In the Mouth of Madness. And she doesn't read the whole thing, but it's enough to drive her insane. So, of course, they start kissing. And when Linda, (laughs) who is, again, now insane, reaches around in the back of Kane's head, on the back of his skull is a terrible new face with clawing little arms sprouting out of his back a monster literally growing out of his spine, and it looks an awful lot like another movie we did, Malignant. And it's Ooh. so awful and jarring, and as they're making out, Linda's, like, running her hands over this little wet skull face. And so I gotta ask you at this point, Jess, who's gonna survive this movie? Who will survive? I, uh, boy, things... Uh, I mean, I think, well, John, we know, gets to an insane asylum, right? So he's mm-hmm. he's technically survived, right? Well, to be fair, he uh, survived the end of the movie because we're, you know, this is a flashback. Oh, that's true. So we do know that's at, true. at this point he's alive, but will he survive until the final frame, I guess? I think he will because he'll probably be tortured by knowing something and or become the vessel for the future. That that would mm-hmm. be my thought. Smart, and, smart. And uh, plus, plus he's got those insurance adjustments. He needs to, he's, you know, he's going to go all the way on all of his tasks. I'm feeling like it is a whole town swallowed up by the jaws of hell situation. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if many people are going to survive. Mm-hmm. I'm going to hope that, um, what's his name, Mr. Pickford? Uh, the naked uh, yeah, man? Mr. I, I hope he Mr. survives. Mr. and Mrs. Pickford, yes, me too. Um, I do hope they survive, but... And then Sutter Kane. We think he's getting out of there. I think Sutter Kane will not survive. It feels like his own genius will be his undoing. That's what I'm going to predict. But now he's got two faces, so who's to say? (laughs) Two for the price of one. I love my cat, Tiger. And as my best friend, we speak our own language. What's that? You love your litter. He does, because I use Fresh Step Outstretch Litter. It absorbs 50% more waste and odor and requires less changing compared to Fresh Step Multicat. Less changing means more time playing. <laughs> right, Tiger? <laughs> That's a yes. Find Fresh Step Outstretch Cat Litter in the pet aisle. Fresh Step is a registered trademark of the Clorox Pet Products Company. Certain trademarks used under license from the Procter & Gamble Company or its affiliates. Start clean with Clorox, because Clorox delivers a powerful clean... Every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. (laughs) Well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Back at the hotel, John is startled by the arrival of Linda, who is screaming, I'm losing me. I'm losing me. Don't read the book, John. So, you know, in a panic, he runs downstairs to find the phone. Absolutely. He runs, I mean, being vulnerable in front of a man, you know, we all have to do it. (laughs) So John runs downstairs to get the phone. He cannot get, he can't call out. And he cannot find Mrs. Pickman. And he turns to look at that painting, which had shifted earlier. Well, yes. it's even worse now 
The two like mutant humanoid figures have completely morphed into Cthulhu, H.P. Lovecraft type monsters, which is kind of an iconic like a tentacle emerging from the mouth, mm. you know, sort of a squid human monster. And they're all in playing the, poker. They're all playing poker. <laughs> and in the back, we see the church has appeared with a dark figure standing in the bell tower, looking out. Suddenly. John here screaming and moaning, and he turns to see Mrs. Pickman has transformed into what I would describe as a wet shadow creature. So we see from behind that her head is still her head, and then we just see tentacles whipping out of her body, and she's eviscerating her husband. She's turning him into coleslaw. Oh, no. As as you do, listen, this is the end of every heterosexual relationship. We must turn one— Running a small business puts a toll on a marriage. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, it's like, when is it work? When is it our time? You know, it's so hard to know. Yeah, yeah. Panicking, John runs up to get Linda, only to see out of the door she got tentacles too. So when Linda emerges with a big smile, she throws John across the hallway, and he runs to the car, but not before seeing another tentacle monster outside. Oh, and then you're going to hate this. They drive, He speeds down Main Street to escape, <laughs> only to find a huge mob, like a dancing band of adults and children, and they're dancing around Linda, who is tied in the middle of the road. And here's why I think I'm like, okay, at this point, you have to know this isn't real. Like, because, yes. like, let's say all the rest of this is fake, monster effects, Guillermo del Toro. Linda cannot instantaneously snap from inside the hotel to being tied up in the middle of the road. How it's dare you underestimate Linda? She can do anything you know, she right. puts her mind to. That's you know what, what she told her Smith sisters at graduation, and she's going to yeah. go straight to the top, baby. Also, do the tentacles look great on Linda? Because I'm getting the vibe that she's probably pulling it off. She's out. She looks. Be- I mean, she's glowing. You know what I mean, she looks I- I incredible. Yeah, yeah. So this is like a a flash mob in the middle of the town yes. where Linda is the star. <laughs> is this right? Remember flash mobs? Yeah, this is yeah. the first flash mob. They originated um, in in Hobbs End. That's, uh, that's <laughs> And so John dives out of his car. He runs back into the bar, and he sees Simon, who's bleeding from his head. And John, somehow, he still doesn't get it. He's like, special effects, hidden speakers. Uh, this We are not in a Sutter Kane story. This is not reality. And Simon John. says, I got bad news. Look at my face. My five-year-old did this to me after she did my wife. And then Jess, Simon, he puts a shotgun under his chin. And John says, don't. He tries to stop him. And Simon says, I have to. He wrote me this way, and he blows his fucking brains out. So, of course, panicking. To me, I'm like, there's no effects. Like, John, you got to get on board. Like, you just saw this in real life. John runs out of the bar and gets punched in the face by Linda, who he, he immediately punches back in the face and then throws her <laughs> into the car. Like, there's so many. Uh, this From this point out, Linda gets punched in the face so many times and has pretty minimal effects. Boy, it's like I'm watching Romancing the Stone. This will they, won't they, punching each other in the face. She's got tentacles. It's really— What hmm, is reality? Where is it going to end up, you know? Yeah. Jess, when they get in the car, Linda wakes up. Unfortunately, she grabs the keys and starts to swallow them, despite her punching her her in the face again. And he's able to—oh, luckily he's a spare key. So she swallows the keys. He punches her in the face, knocking her out, and then he's able to get the spare out of the glove box. And he's driving away. So just to, to be clear, glove box contains bike horn, spare keys. <laughs> Probably some else. loose chips. That's, that's it. Yeah. Great, great, great. And okay. then Linda grabs him, waking up and kisses him and says, why? And John says, why are you doing this? And she tells him, Kane is writing me now. It's what the readers want. And so he veers <laughs> off the road. He jumps out of the car. 
only to realize that they are back at that piece of highway and they see the old teen biking away from a telephone booth. Linda tells John, Kane has a job for you. And then she walks upside down, like in the poultry, uh, not the poultry guys, in the uh, extended uh, version of the exorcist. She walks upside down like a spider out of the car and then twists her head all the way around. Luckily, that means she's out of the car. So John leaps back in, then drives out. Of course, you know where I'm going to say every highway leads back to Hobbs End. He keeps running into the mob every time he whirls around, he drives on, he goes back to the mob, and he keeps seeing the old teen on the bike. And he sees Linda at one point. She's on the back of the old teen's bike. Until finally he gets back to the mob. He cannot escape. So he says, fuck it. And then he just guns his car through the mob of people. Until Linda appears, and he veers to miss her, crashing his car. Dude, that either isn't Linda or Linda is a monster now. I, you're going to like, oh, no, my dear friend Linda, who I met two days ago. You'd be like, do yeah, not wreck the car. Yeah, he swerves to avoid her? Yeah. I, it's just, ugh. Come on. Give it up. When John wakes up, he's in the confessional booth in the church, and Kane is talking to him as the priest on the other side of the screen. It says, you know the problem with this place, with, with all religion? It doesn't understand the nature of creation. No one has ever believed in this enough to make it real. The same cannot be said of my work. John says, your books aren't real. I don't know. There's some sort of hysteria going on, but this does not mean that reality isn't real. And Kane's like, well, let's look at the, the facts and figures. Look at how many books I've sold has been translated into 18 languages. More people believe in my work than in the Bible. And he says, no, there has to be a rational explanation. Also, your book suck. And Kane said, oh, then you're going to love reading the new one. And he takes John out. He appears in the booth with John. And he said, it'll make the world ready for the new change. When people lose their distinction between reality and irreality, the old ones can journey back. Which is a reference to H.P. Lovecraft. You know, the old ones, the old gods, the ancient gods. You open up a portal in reality and they can travel back from their, either their place beyond the stars or, you know, in the deep where they lie dreaming, the dead can never die. You know, just a tip of the hat to H.P. But there are old ones and this will enable them to travel back into our reality. You hate to see it. I'll say that. The, Unfortunately. The ego on this guy, I gotta say. The, uh... <laughs> I know, it's sort of an indictment of uh, Stevie Kang. Um, John uh, passes out and when he wakes up again, Kane is literally finishing typewriting his last page. And he gives the full manuscript to John. He says, I want you, you're not, I'm not going to kill you. I want you to take this to the world. You know, it's all in the book. And what I put in the book is that's what you do. You're the courier. You are what I write, John. This town didn't exist before I wrote it and neither did you. And John's like, absolutely not. I am real and nobody's pulling my strings. And Kane laughs and said, do you think my agent attacked you randomly? He knew you were going to try to bring back the manuscript because it's in the book, and he was trying to fucking kill you. And Kane Kane says, you go back. I'm going to go be with my new publishers. And he walks through the oozing, gigantic door, and we can see the door is starting to break down. It's bursting open from the force of the monsters inside who are just waiting to come into our reality. Um, And then suddenly Linda appears. They don't really explain that part, but Linda's there. And Kane still reaches, with the tentacles. Uh, no, standard Linda. She looks great. Oh, Again, like <laughs> regular white, Linda. Okay. What is the I like Eileen Fisher? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like casual but chic. Right. And as they watch, Kane begins tearing himself apart like a piece of paper, and it leaves a void, like a hole in reality. 
And so John peers in, and, and Linda sort of narrates the passage from the Cain's book in the in the Mouth of Madness about an army of unspeakable figures that poured out of the pit into our world. And John's like, fuck this. He grabs Linda and says, come with me. And Linda says, I can't. I've read the ending. And so John starts to run. And behind him, he turns, he sees a tentacled mass of monsters following him. And he screams. And he wakes up on the road. It's day again. And he's holding the manuscript. And a kid bikes up. It's not the same kid, but it's the same bike. And we can tell because it has little playing cards. Okay. And he says, are you okay? Like, have you ever been in an accident? Like, can I, should I tell somebody? And John says, no, just point me to the highway. But before I go, have you ever heard of a town called Hobbs End? And the boy shakes his head, no. And that boy, Hayden Christensen, who would have known? I mean, it was played by, I'm not, I'm not like saying that was his actual life path. Yes, I was like, that's his origin story? He's like, and that boy went on to be president of the United States. That's a, wow, okay, all right. Hayden Christensen. <laughs> um, right. So John manages to hitchhike to a hotel and he ditches the manuscript in a field and he, he gets to the hotel and the hotel clerk says, Mr. Trent, there's a package for you. And he's like, how could there be a package for me? <laughs> Nobody knows I'm here. I literally got here an hour ago. And Kirk's like, I don't know, you someone does. Jess, it's the gosh darn manuscript. That's and, I was gonna say it's the it's the only copy. So like burn the yes. cop, like get rid of the copy. But this is a flaw in my plan. So no, no. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. He takes it to his room and page by page he he burns it in the sink before mm-hmm. taking the bus back to New York. And this iconic woman, she's literally just credited as like old woman. And her, the name of the actress is Louise Bevan. And she's like, people talk about New York like it's a dump now. People should know when I was younger, you'd go down the Bowery. There were bodies stacked two to three feet high. And I'm like, how many bodies are on the Bowery that they're two to three feet high? What are you talking about? As you're describing the Fran Lebowitz documentary, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, that's the kind of like <laughs> I mean nonsense wisdom that just doesn't appeal to me. Anyway, show me the facts, um, woman. <laughs> show me the photos of these bodies. Anyway. I need facts and figures. So um, Johnny takes the bus. Again, it's over, an overnight bus. I'm just, I don't know how far away New, New Hampshire is. I keep wanting to see New Zealand from New York. He takes a bus back to New Zealand. It sounds like John Carpenter doesn't know how far away New Hampshire is from New York either. <laughs> Um, and so Cade uh, sits next to him, and Cade uh, wakes up. He's like, I'm gone now, John, but that means I could never leave. And John says, well, you know, if you're God, God's not supposed to be such a hack horror writer. And Cade says, did I ever tell you my favorite color is blue? Jess, when John wakes up, everything <laughs> in the movie has a blue cast, and he screams! And then he wakes up again, another double dream. <laughs> and double dream! And Cade friendly Woods is like, it was just a dream, sweetheart, calm down. <laughs> So when he gets back to the city, <laughs> John goes, this is my favorite scene. John goes to like, I guess like City Hall or some like historical record society to find, because the person he's talking to is just credited as municipal worker. And she, he's trying to find evidence of Hobbs Ed. And she tells him, are you deaf and dumb, sir? And I was like, are you allowed to say that people? To people wow. when you work at, like, the Historical Society of New England. You know how working at a nonprofit changes you. <laughs> You're sick of people coming in with their projects and their agendas. Look, the place closes at 5. No, you cannot <laughs> use the copy machine. The restroom is for employees only. Like, you know, she must get people come in and ask about Hobbs End a thousand times a day. And she's fed up with it, you know? And to oh, your boy. point, um, I imagine because Sutter Kane is so successful— 
people are constantly like, where's Hobbs End? And she's like, it doesn't exist. There's no place called Hobbs End. And John screams, I want to see your supervisor. <laughs> Which again, it's <laughs> <laughs> probably happens to this woman like eight times a day. On the way home, John passes that same wall of posters, but there's no cop. There's no graffiti artist. There's no mob. Mm. There's no monsters. Mm. He goes to Arcane Publishing, and Harglow laughs at him. He's like, okay, but you don't really believe that. that you're just pulling my leg. And he, and Harglow says, well, we t- I told you that Sutter, Sutter King, his uh, books can have effects on people. So if you had an experience, that's what it was. It wasn't literally real. And John says, yeah, Linda told me that. And Harglow says, ah, yes, Linda, that girl you say I sent with you. But I ask you, John, why wouldn't I remember her? Harglow has no memory of Linda. Her, erased we, like every other woman in history Linda's been erased wow Linda is the metaphor she's the metaphor okay oh she's unforgettable how, how could you <laughs> oh boy I will say I, I did think a sub like to a uh, header of the ruined podcast could be ruined colon everything's a metaphor in a horror <laughs> movie um and Linda said oh I'll tell you how there's no Linda here she was written out and he tells Harlow everything I said is real that's why I destroyed the manuscript. And Harglow turns to him and says, what do you mean, John? You delivered Uh-oh. it months ago. We published it in July. I mean, it's been out for seven goddamn weeks. And John gasped. He's like, did you read it? And he's like, oh, no, I hate that horror shit. I can't read that. That's awful. And he says, pull the book. Even if I am insane and this is just the effect of the book, then this is going to drive people crazy. Like, if what you're telling me is this didn't happen, that's also bad, which is what we pointed out earlier. And Harko says, well, I hope people are crazy for the book. The movie's coming out next month. Oh, Boy, These publishing houses, they, they have no soul. They have, they're all about the money, I'll tell you. I mean, all it is about true, the though. Money. If you publish a book now, I feel like you sell the rights before. You know, like, they don't give a fuck if you sell a book. It is about like, ah, it's a book. It's true. It's a, you know, a lady murdered herself. All right, great. We'll make a movie out of it or whatever. <laughs> Um, outside. Linda, as though we'd hire a woman here. <laughs> Sir, you're talking crazy. A woman? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Linda, a time to dream. No, I don't, I don't know what her book would be. Her, yeah, Linda, her sounds fake. Sounds fake. Outside, yeah. John leaves, and a lot, huge amount of people is waiting outside the bookstore demanding a copy of In the Mouth of Madness. The, the books, the stores can't keep them off the sh- uh, on the shelves. And we hear on the news, there's been an epidemic of paranoid schizophrenia and senseless acts of violence. John, who mm-hmm. now looks as like he looks as red-eyed as the agent did, stops a man coming out of the bookstore and said, says, Do you like the book? The man looks up, bleeding from the eye, and we see his pupil splitting in two. And he says, I love it. John replies, then this probably shouldn't come as a surprise. And he just buries an axe in the guy's head. Now we're back in the cell. It's 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 uh it's current day, and John. As Dr. Ren, and that's why you're here, right? Because it's spreading, isn't it? Ren says, look, just because you know the symptoms doesn't mean the story is true. But John tells him, it's not my story, it's Kane's story. And with each new reader, it is spreading to new people and making the journey of the old ones more um, quicker and more able to occur. I don't I don't know. Ren says, well, what about the people who don't read? I don't know. I don't know the science. Okay. Ren says, right, right, yeah. what about the people who don't read? And John says, <laughs> they'll see the movie. Ren says, okay, great. Well, thanks for telling me. I'm going to leave, but I'll be back later. I do want to help you. John says, there's no rush. It's only going to get worse out there. So honestly, maybe it's better in here. So I'm just going to stay here. In 10 years, maybe less, the human race will just be a bedtime story, a myth, nothing more. 
Dr. Ren walks out and he talks to Dr. Sabastian. She's like, yeah, he's he's mad. He thinks Sutter Kane is causing the epidemic. And Dr. Sabastian asks him, do you read Sutter Kane? But Dr. Ren just looks at him and then walks out. In his cell, John wakes, the lights flickering, the sound of screams and thunder, and he sees the shadows of people devouring each other in the hall. Uh, the, the, apparently, the epidemic has reached the uh, asylum. Suddenly, the door is ripped off its hinges. And when John emerges, the hospital has been completely ransacked. There's blood everywhere, but it's empty. And all the doors have been ripped off their hinges. We hear it on the radio as he walks into the city. I, I don't know where we're supposed to think this asylum is, like Long Island, maybe. New Jersey. He walks into the city. And we, and we hear New Hampshire. We hear on the radio, the madness has spread to every country. And, the, and people have started mutating. And also the mass killings have moved inland from the coastal cities. And John wanders through the streets of New York, finding a movie theater empty, but playing in the mouth of madness, the movie. And when John sits down, he sees in the mouth of madness, the movie we just watched. And he laughs as he sees himself on screen saying, no, we're not in a Sutter Kane movie. This is a reality. I'm sorry about the balls. It was just a lucky shot. And he eats a, a big old bucket of popcorn and he laughs until he begins to sob at the end. Wow. Really wow. makes you think. Is it a metaphor about pogs? That's what yeah. I think, like mass psychosis. You know, it feels like the things we tell ourselves are real. <laughs> and then you just wake up and it's too late. Um, I think it's about Beanie that's Babies. A lot of I twists. Think yeah. Um, is, uh, let's talk about some fatal mistakes. What were some fatal mistakes? And I can think of definitely one that you think some of the <laughs> characters might have made had they not made those mistakes. Perhaps they could have subverted, uh, you know, mm-hmm. an epidemic of uh, madness and monsters consuming the world, I suppose. Fatal mistakes. I was gonna blame John for not having life work boundaries, uh-huh. but honestly, if if he was just Kane's pawn the whole time, I guess yes. that's not really his fault. That's, and that's the issue um, with this movie is like, can anyone say? I guess the mistake is reading and consuming horror, because the um, yeah. editor didn't, and so he was. But then it's like you got to be the handful of sane people who have to survive something like that. I don't like that yeah, I was going to say, Charlton Heston didn't read horror, but I, I'm pretty sure he was shortly thereafter killed by uh, a horde of uh, tentacle-waving yes. flash mobbers who just, exactly. you know, did a little dance on his grave. So, I, I boy, it's a lot of uh, predestination. It's very hard yeah. to, you know, what is a, what is a fatal mistake is, is what the question is at the end of the day for the film. But uh, also, you know, just don't take a business trip, uh, I think, is the, is the real issue here. Like, if he and Linda had never gone to New Hampshire, if they would have phoned ahead, maybe things would have been different. But I guess not. I guess, but at least they would have known if he had phoned ahead. Yeah. yeah oh, okay, Mrs. Pickman, the fictional character, runs this, this uh, bed and breakfast. Yeah. yeah, could he let his fingers do the walking is the real question. Like, could this have been all by phone? It's like, excuse me, is there a demonic church there? Okay, it, are you a fictional character, et cetera, et cetera. But, yeah. um, you know, it's a hard one. It's a hard one. I think that there are, unfortunately, there are certain horror movies where, like, I just wanted to see more of a reaction. I think be suppressing at your reaction to things, you know, like, again, even if this is all a setup, leave. Leave immediately. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. you're doing this, then fuck you, this is fake, I'm out of here. Like, to keep being like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll allow it, I'll wait till something else, can-. like, to me, it's like, that's the mistake. But, you know, hey, he we've all been in that situation. Yeah, yeah, this, yeah, we've all been that, it's like, 
no, I, you know, I'll know when to go. And then it's, uh, it's too late. Um, Again, you and I say that we would have left, but we, we wouldn't no. have. Like, like, we would have offended anybody. You're vacationing oh, in another person's town, and you're going to say, I hate this town. I got to get it. I'd be mm-hmm. like, oh, that's lovely. Oh, look at those tentacles. Oh, I love that painting. You know, I, you know we'd be planning <laughs> our oh, escape, but we'd, we'd get our money's worth. <laughs> money's worth in that Airbnb. And also, I think that you would already be looking at property. Because, like, you got to imagine oh, yeah. living next to some sort of monster church would lower— so maybe the cost, you know what I mean? Like, I think yeah. maybe you can get your hands on a little prize. Yeah, I think you see, like, an elderly boy on a creepy bicycle, and you think, those could be my kids. Like, you know, having having the life that I had as a child, uh, fresh air, plenty of demonic creatures, plus, like, yeah. a, a, an author in residence at the local church. I mean, that's great. And then finally, where would you put in the mouth of madness? On the spooky scale, Jess. <laughs> A spooky scale. Uh, full disclosure, I was not expecting it to be as spooky as I oh, think okay. it appears to be. Um, Good. I, I, I like think that. it. I think it could because it has like a demonic Pleasantville kind of vibe, yes. or or that episode of Eerie Indiana where the girl drew things that came true, which is always mm-hmm. a soft spot of mine. Um, and I like the idea that it's inescapable. Um, yeah. So so it, it forgives all sins. Uh, maybe I'll give it a six. Okay, great. You know, um, I like a six. Actually, I'm going to go six, too. Because, uh, a six as well, I mean, rather. Um, because I feel like the, it was both fun and then the moments that were very scary are very well done. Like, that first mm-hmm. scene with the guy with the axe, genuinely shocking, genuinely very affecting. And I do, there is something to me very compelling about, like, we're following one person while the world disintegrates around him. Like, so it's like we're, we're, um, maybe because of the pandemic. I don't know. There's something about it where it's like, oh yeah, this is one person's story, but then like outside the door, people are like turning into monsters and like killing each other, like horrific. That to me is genuinely scary. Because you know what? random creepiness too. That's the scariest one. Of like the naked naked guy behind the desk or like Linda's kissing a man who has another face growing out the back of his face. Like that's a little, you don't, you know, I don't want to see that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, Jess, thank you so much for coming on the pod. Did you have a good time? I, I had a great time. This was okay. this was lovely. This, you you are the original mouth of madness. You are my Linda. <laughs> thank you. you always will be. And you, my insurance investigator. <laughs> also, please know I, I don't think I've ever asked if anyone had a good time. That's how much I need your approval. Well, I mean, ugh. did I do a good job? That's the question. You, I need you your were approval. Incredible. I had a Our blast approval. and a half. It was an absolute delight. Okay. I'm gonna go All make right. a lasagna. Well, Mm, that sounds great. Ooh. Um, well, thank you again. Please watch, uh, everyone, please watch the last season of In the Dark, a show that Jess claims he writes for it. No, I'm kidding. We'll cut that part out. <laughs> he does write for it. It again, will I, make you psychotic, yeah. I guess, uh, to be fair, I don't have proof that any of my friends have the jobs they say. I, I don't ask for that kind of confirmation. You know what I mean? Maybe when I was never here at all. Yeah, if, if everyone, if you're listening to this and you don't hear another voice and I've just been talking to myself, don't let me know because I enjoy Jess's company so much. Um, but, um, until next time, and Jess, you can stay with me if you want, but until next Uh, time, everyone, please remember to keep keep it it spooky. Perfect. I love you. I love you. I do love you. I love you too. Ruined is a Radio Point production with executive producers Alex Bach, Sabrina Fonfetter, and Houston Snyder. Recorded and edited by Kat Iosa. 
My cat Rachel is the silliest cat I know. One time, she played inside a paper bag for three hours. What a mystery. But I'm glad her health isn't. Thanks to the color-changing litter from Fresh Step Crystal's health monitoring litter. This premium color-changing litter has pH-activated crystals that can help me detect potential illness early. That makes it easy for me to stay on top of her health and well-being. I may not understand all of Rachel's silly quirks, but I can keep up with the important things. Find Fresh Step Crystal's health monitoring litter at a store near you. Fresh Step is a registered trademark of the Clorox Pet Products Company.